Turn, please, in your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Revelation 2, 8. We're in a series on strength for today, hope for tomorrow from the book of Revelation. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And this is the word of God. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning we have before us the very Word of God. We'd ask now for your Spirit's help to take this truth, Father, to apply it to the way we think, the way we live, the way we persevere, we would pray, and to give us a good understanding of your church around the world. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. It is, so it seems, the one lesson that Satan never learns. Uh, So he tries again and again. And each time his efforts produce the exact opposite results of what he hopes for, what he intended. Perhaps it helps illustrate for us the insanity of evil. Now, what's that lesson Satan never learns? What's that strategy that always fails? What's persecuting the church? Uh, The letter of the church in Smyrna uh, brings us face to face with the reality of persecution of the church It's the persecution of the people of God. Persecuting the church does not deter the church, does not defeat the church, does not destroy the church. Rather, it always strengthens the church. It refines the church. It purifies the church. And no, we don't seek to be persecuted. But the reality is that persecution is the norm and the expectation for the church. We in the United States uh, are blessed to live in a season in which the church is not persecuted. But the people of God knew this persecution firsthand. Uh, Today, people around the world still know this, and we too may one day know this firsthand. So two goals here, really. Uh, One, we want to understand better and better uh, the persecution that our brothers and sisters face so that we can uh, identify with them. So we can join with them in prayer. But second, we want to be ready should or when persecution comes. Hence, we've turned to Revelation. As we dig into this, remember, we want to keep the big picture uh, in these uh, seven letters. Because they're a picture of what the global church faces across the centuries. The seven letters are significant because they are the teaching portion of the book of Revelation. Uh, and just as Paul's letters uh, to churches, the instructions that Jesus gives here uh, to these seven churches are guidance. How to face the future. How the kingdom of God is to stand under the assault of Satan. So our task is to learn what Jesus writes to these churches uh, so that we receive strength for today, hope for tomorrow that Revelation gives us. Now, remember two things from our look at Ephesus last week. First is the absolute necessity of love to endure what the church faces. 
That's the key point we took out last week, that to face persecution uh, is that our love for Christ uh, and then our love for the gospel is absolutely critical. Without that love, we're going to be incapable of facing a future that may include persecution. Uh, That's why we started this morning with the affirmation, love before the dawn of time in our singing. Secondly, remember the lampstand metaphor uh, for the church. We're a light shining in a dark world. Uh, What we did not have time to talk about last week is that the key to the lampstand burning brightly and carrying out the ongoing ministry of Jesus to the ends of the earth uh, is the Holy Spirit. That's the chief lesson you may recall from the book of Zechariah chapter 4 where he deals with the lampstand and that is the need for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who kept the lampstand there in that temple vision that Zechariah had burning brightly uh, as he did it to keep the ministry of Zerubbabel the governor and Jeshua the high priest in building the temple, rebuilding the temple uh, and putting back together the lampstand there. And it was amidst much persecution in their day. So we remember Zechariah's key verse, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So with that in mind, and the assault on the church today, let's go to the text. It begins with, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. Uh, this significant port city was almost the size of Ephesus in the first century. Smyrna, though, tried very hard to out-Roman Rome. Uh, with its worship of the emperor. In fact, Tiberius Caesar awarded that city, Smyrna, of all the cities in the empire, uh, the privilege to build a temple to honor the Roman emperors. It was a beautiful city. It was known as the crown of Smyrna because of its symmetrical buildings and that they uh, gave a crown of appearance if you looked at them. Its streets were laid out perfectly. There were temples to Zeus and the other gods there. There was a large Jewish population there. Now, the city did claim to be the birthplace of the, of the poet uh, Homer, and uh, it was a center for education and for medicine. There were a lot of trees there, particularly small trees that produced myrrh. In fact, the Greek word we translate Smyrna means myrrh, all right? Uh, and it was used as a perfume. You'll recall it's one of the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus at birth. It's one of the things that, uh, that Nicodemus brought to anoint the body of Jesus to prepare it for death. And so it's a reminder to people of death. Um, and that's where you see a geographical connection here, uh, that uh, uh, this is the persecuted church facing death in Smyrna with myrrh, the perfume of death present. Uh, but an aroma, a fragrant aroma to God. Now, it's still an important city today. It's the third largest city in Turkey after Ankara and Istanbul. Uh, it's the uh, Muslim city known by its Turkish name now, Izmir. Uh, and it's home to three to four million people in the area. And we've had a pastor from there and his wife visit us here several years ago. Uh, now, I still have the mug in my office that gave us uh, to, for Izmir on it to remind us to pray daily for the city and the church there. It tells us that God places His people, uh, sometimes in a beautiful place geographically, uh, but it's a spiritually a hotbed of persecution. And wherever any particular church gathers, including us in this place, uh, we are the people of God for the place where God puts us at this time. 
And so we gather weekly here to worship. We scatter during the week to be salt and light in our community. We're called to minister to whatever community God places us in, even when that means persecution. But as we saw last week, that never means Jesus abandons us. Rather, He's walking among the church. He's walking among the lampstands. He has an angel present. And given the spiritual battle raging, I would suggest to many angels. Now, in the first century, it was their commitment to Rome, along with the large Jewish population, that made Smyrna a hotbed of persecution for the church. Today, 2,000 years later, it's the presence of the Muslim culture that makes it still a place of of persecution of the church. And the key for the church in Smyrna, in any church, under assault, is our anchor. Our anchor is the pivotal truth of Jesus' self-description here. Uh, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Uh, Our faith and lives are anchored in the reality of who Jesus is. With this self-description that he's borrowing these words from God's self-description three times in the uh, book of Isaiah... Uh, the words we saw in chapter 1, and again we'll see in chapter 22, uh, Jesus is not only claiming deity, He's claiming equality with God in His being, in power, and in authority. He's claiming He's always existed, and He always will. He's both outside of time, and He's Lord over time. Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. In other words, He's the King. He has the first say about everything. He has the final say about everything. All the power is His. All the authority is His. And with them facing persecution... Jesus is sovereign over that as well. He's sovereign over all of history. Uh, we believe this. We affirm that day with the Apostles' Creed, with the glory of Patri. And incredibly, this sovereign ruler, this amazing eternal God, died. He died and came to life. He was persecuted and he suffered, even to the point of death on the cross. Uh, uh, He rose from the dead. And as such, He's what? He's the Lord of life. And so His resurrection fills us with hope about our own resurrection. And we celebrate that resurrection hope as we gather every Sunday. Two Sundays from now, we will particularly emphasize the resurrection, celebrate it. Sort of as an annual declaration of the world around us. uh, That our Redeemer lives. We'll announce to a rebellious world that's doing everything it can to avoid death. You know, they're trying pills and programs and diets and all sorts of things. Uh, They're trying everything they can to avoid Jesus. What we're going to tell them is Jesus is both God and man. And He's already conquered death. Death is lost. Uh, It's been defeated. And quite frankly, it's the worst thing they can do to us. To kill us. But we have resurrection hope. Uh, And that hope is anchored in the word of God's proclamation of the glory of Christ. 
So we read God's Word every week in the services. We call ourselves to worship with the Word of God. We always say the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God will stand forever. That's why the world fears the Word of God more than anything else. Uh, That's why possessing a single scrap of a single page of Scripture in North Korea will get you and your children and your grandchildren all thrown into prison. Because the government of North Korea fears nothing more than the power of this book that we have before us today. Uh, The power of this book, the one who wrote it, is the one who's the first and the last. The one who died is now alive forevermore. And it's that anchor that gives us confidence uh, in the, uh, against the adversaries that assault the church. Uh, pick it up there. Uh, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich in the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw you, some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulations. Uh, Jesus declares here, really, if you read, there's three adversaries in this passage that we face. And the first is Satan himself, called the devil here as well. Um, Satan is behind all the opposition the church faces. It's behind the assault on the church. Make no mistake, persecution is a spiritual battle that rages that you and I seldom see. And that's why we're going to the book of Revelation, because it shows us behind the scenes, behind the headlines if you will, behind human history. God's word affirms that the devil walks about like a roaring lion and he's looking for people to devour. But friends, this devil, Satan himself, he's not omnipotent. Only God is. He's not omniscient, all-knowing. Only God is. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all the time. Only God is. He's limited in time and space and power and knowledge. And he's already been crushed at the cross. Indeed, he still seeks to work us woe. And he's going down fighting. He's clawing, bringing as many people as possible with him. But friends, down he will go. And then there are the Romans. And really, in one sense, it's the Roman way of life that would be so enticing to anybody that lived in Smyrna. Uh, later we'll see in the other churches the seduction of Roman worship pull those churches down, but not so here. Rather, in that the Romans demanded emperor worship. When the Christians were not going along, that did enrage the government. If you didn't make an offering to the emperor, you could be imprisoned or put to death. And the third adversary the church faced there were the Jews. Now, we said this, this city had a large Jewish population. But notice he calls them a couple of things. One's the synagogue of Satan. Uh, they were his tools. But he also says they're not really Jews. Now, why would he say that? Because the true people of God, the true Israel, are those who are children of the promise. The children of the promise born to Abraham, not the physical seed. That's the point made over and over again by Paul in Romans God's Word declares already that believing Gentiles are the true Israel. Uh, And those who do not believe in Jesus, whether they're Jewish or they're Gentile, are not part of God's God's people. And hence we have the designation, the synagogue of Satan. 
And evidently in Smyrna, it was particularly active in making sure the Christians were persecuted. Now, why did they do that? Well, primarily, they, they considered it blasphemy uh, to worship a, a, a crucified Messiah. Uh, and so the Jews encouraged the Romans to persecute the Christians. And you can see that throughout the book of Acts. And so as we face our adversaries today, we sang what? Though fierce the fight against the hosts of wrong, his word is sure and his arm is strong. The day is his, raise the battle, triumph song. Our God Almighty is sovereign still. So what were the adversities the church faced? Again, look at the same verses. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews are not, but are synagogue of Satan. But do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. Uh, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. It's interesting, when Jesus addresses the church here, it's using the plural, but at this point he turns and uses the singular. It's you, it's your, it's individual. Jesus knows what each person faces in their battle uh, with persecution. He does not just see a suffering church, though he does. He sees each individual around the world who's suffering for the sake of the gospel. He knows what each person faces. The word afflictions here is usually translated uh, for us as, uh, is translated as tribulation, sometimes as afflictions. It literally means to be under pressure. And so how does that work out? Maybe you remember from our study of Corinthians a couple of years ago that the social life and the business ties and the city business dealings for the most part centered around gathering at pagan temples for meals and, and pagan worship. Uh, that's where the business took place. And when it talks about the poverty here, the, it's the word for extreme poverty. Uh, and in all probability, they were poor because they refused to give their allegiance to Caesar. They refused to engage in business in the pagan temples. Um, and so they were cut out of the loop uh, to, to make money. Um, their possessions may have been seized. Some of them may have been slaves to begin with. And so becoming a believer in Christ in Smyrna came at an economic cost. Uh, and it's not unlike what Christians face elsewhere in the world today. Uh, in atheistic lands where, where you might lose your job, be demoted, or your children denied an education because the family is Christian. We also see that the Jews in particular were slandering the Christians. The word here is, 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 is blasphemy. They were blaspheming them. Uh, humiliating them in public places. They called them atheist because they rejected the Roman gods and they rejected the worship of the Caesar. The Jews called them cannibals for their practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And the church in Smyrna faced prison. And it still does, by the way. By saying 10 days, he's not necessarily saying a, a literal 10 days. Uh, that there's perhaps an allusion to Daniel and his friends 10 days there in Daniel chapter 1. Brother, 10 days indicates a, indicates a complete period of time, a, a complete period of suffering, albeit hopefully a limited one. Uh, but of course, then they face death. They're going to be executed for their faith. Uh, essentially, because in, in church history, we know that the, the pastor of the church at this time was a man named Polycarp. 
and he would have read this letter to the congregation. He would have known death was a possibility. We'll come back to Polycarp uh, later. So how does telling people that their poverty and, their, and being slandered and being imprisoned and facing death is a, is a way to give you strength for today and hope for tomorrow? How does that work out? All right, well, let's think about it. And young people, I got to tell you, it tells us we've got to be ready. It tells us it's coming, first of all. It gives us strength right away. We're not going to be surprised. Uh, second, it tells us uh, that, uh, that we do not fit in with this world. We do not fit in. And we never will fit in. And if that's the effort to try to fit in, I'm just warning you, it, it won't help. Because we do not fit in. Uh, troubles do assail us being part of this world. Um, but though that reality strikes home, the, the truth is, uh, this is not real poverty here because he says, what? He says, you're rich. How are we rich? Well, we're rich because the eternal living God dwells in us when we're believers. Uh, we're rich because we possess the hope of eternal life. We, we're rich because we know we're loved by the eternal God. Loved from before the dawn of time, loved all the way to the cross and for all eternity. Persecution will separate out those who are not real believers from those who are. Persecution uses refining fire, as Jim sang, to, to work in our lives so that our love for Jesus grows and our desire to be holy grows. So we've got to be sure about our allegiance as assault looms. Verse 10 tells us what? Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Do not fear. Well, easier said than done. But let's keep the big picture. Persecution, which was bad when they got this letter, was about to get much worse. Satan's going to put some of them in prison. But again, that's going to be purifying and strengthening for the church. Even as Satan's plan for Jesus led to the cross, where Satan really thought he'd won the battle. He thought he'd defeated Jesus at the cross. We know he did not. We know that at the cross, Jesus accomplished our salvation by being the substitute who, who died in our place, who took the penalty for our sins. And so too, Satan's plans for the suffering of the Smyrna church will turn out to be a blessing for the church. The second command he gives here is, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful. Make the sacrifice. Smyrna was known to the citizens there, not the Christians, but the citizens for their faithfulness to the Greeks, for their faithfulness to the Romans or whoever was in charge. But the challenge for the church is to be faithful to Jesus Christ. That's the challenge for the whole church in the world today. In whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And we should be motivated by the depth of Christ's love at the cross. There's also a promise here. It's the promise of the award that awaits believers. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life crown of life, because that's eternal life, eternal life. Uh, you know, verse 11 tells us what, ends with what? The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 
Friends, we sometimes sing the body they may kill, but what? God's truth about it still, His kingdom is forever. And the challenge for the First Presbyterian Church in Smyrna and for Chestnut Mount Presbyterian Church is to do what we're going to sing in a moment. It's to turn our eyes and fix them on Jesus Christ. Look to Him. Heed His word. Believe Him and the promises all will be well. And if you've not done that yet in your life, I would urge you to do that today. Because the old adage is what? If we're born once, what will happen? We'll die twice. We'll die physically. We'll die spiritually for eternity, eternally dying. But if we're born twice, physically born, then born again into the kingdom of God, we only die once. We die physically, but then after that, friends, we're going to live forever. That's the great hope we have as the people of God. That's why we turn our eyes to Jesus, because we are more than conquerors. We really are. And so this letter begins by drawing attention to Jesus' faithfulness in conquering death and being alive forever. And in closing the letter, he reminds us that we belong to him. We're in union with him. We conquer as Jesus turns our attention away from temporary suffering to the promise of eternity. Whoever has ears, what? Let him hear who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what about us? Are we listening? I mentioned Polycarp, uh, the pastor of the church there. He was designated as pastor by the Apostle John himself. He was perhaps the, the last living Christian to have known an apostle. Uh, moved down in time to the year 154, some say 155. Polycarp's an old man. He's 86 years old. He's still the pastor of the church there. He's arrested on a Friday evening. He's taken to the stadium. Word spreads through Smyrna and a crowd quickly gathers. They roar in delight because a Christian's been arrested. One account of his death says that he was brought into the stadium. A, a voice was heard saying, be strong and show yourself a man. 1,400 years later, uh, you remember that Hugh Latimer told Nicholas Ritter the same thing as they faced the flames of martyrdom. So the proconsul tries to get Polycarp to deny the faith. Have respect for your old age and swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheist. Again, they thought Christians were atheists because they didn't believe in Caesar as God or, or the Greek or Roman gods as well. Uh, swear, reproach Christ and I will set you free. Polycarp, 86 years have I served him, and he's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul, I have wild animals here. To these I will cast you if you do not repent. We'll call them. It's unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I'll be glad though to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you despise the animals, I will have you burned. You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished, but you know nothing to the fires, the coming judgment, and the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. And then Polycarp said, but why do you delay? Come, do what you will. One of the traditions with it says that when the guards realized they didn't have nails or rope to affix him to a post, Polycarp assured them that no restraint was necessary. 
Jesus would empower him to bear the flames. Now we're 2,000 years later and the church in Izmir is still being persecuted, as is the church around the world. Our brother Fikret, who visited here from Izmir, is not a stranger to the jails in Izmir. But as it was with Polycarp, with Vladimir Ridley and other believers today, the blood of the martyrs continues to be the seed of the church. The church is under assault. But friends, persecution causes the lampstand of the church to shine brighter than ever in the darkness of the world around us. And should we, or when we, face such persecution, may our light shine brightly here. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you that Jesus Christ is the first and the last, that he was dead and is alive forevermore. Father, that's our hope today. Our hope is in the cross of Christ and his resurrection and his presence with us and his sway over history, Father, that all things are moving to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray for the persecuted church today. Minister to them greatly, we would ask. May they know your presence, Father, in a great way. May they know that we, the people of God, are praying for them. And, Father, likewise, prepare us for the persecution to come. And, Father, may indeed our lampstand remain shining brightly no matter the assault that Satan brings on us, our children, our grandchildren, we would pray. And Father, there's anybody here that doesn't know the hope of knowing Jesus Christ, the Lord they're facing, the eternal death that Polycarp spoke of. Father, show them the cross today. Show them your love, we would pray. And draw them to what we would ask in Jesus' name. Amen.